All right, here he is, Dennis Stewart, ready to uh, fire up another Health Naturally. G'day, mate. Always good to see you. And a two-parter. We're going to continue the conversation yeah, from are. last week. We are indeed. We stimulated a lot of interest. And I want to deal finally with uh, some ginseng. But before we go in that direction, I want to look at the way in which these remedies are best referred to as tonic remedies, what that means, how it's been disregarded in modern society, but how it uh, is a very important concept, not only with reference to these three anti-ageing remedies, but to the whole concept of a lifestyle and program that has a tonic effect on the body. All right, looking forward to all of that, plus your calls. If you have a question for Dennis, 49216216 for Health Naturally. Health things, herb things, men's fashion. Dennis, you'll have a crack at that too, won't you? Oh, anything. Anything at all. All right. The floor's open to you. <laughs> Currently, Dennis, you've, you've got your bow, uh, brow buried in a book there. What, what are you I reading, have, mate? I have. I uh, was thinking this morning before I came away of a writer that I used years ago in my lecturing on this topic, and I finally found the text in my rearranged library, and I won't comment on that anymore, rearrangement. It creates confusion. Anyway, I found... I will cover that, don't you worry. I found the book entitled An End to Ageing. Now, I'm spending a bit of time just mentioning this because I know there are cynics and sceptics out there who take issue with this concept of of addressing ageing and, and the possibility of uh, improving the whole process of ageing and resist the term anti-ageing. I don't. And the interesting thing was uh, the British... Doctor of Pharmacology and Gerontologist Stephen Fulder, F-U-L-D-E-R. And I'll say it again, a Doctor of Pharmacology and a Gerontologist, brilliant writer, brilliant scientist, Stephen Fulder has written a number of works, but the book that I'm looking at presently, which I was looking at before I came away for the program today, is entitled An End to Ageing. Now, I suggest... Uh, to listeners that are interested in this topic, get hold of the book. It may not be available locally, but contact uh, the Book Depot in London, contact Amazon, you'll get a copy. This is such a fascinating work, which from a scientific as well as a clinical and well as from a folklore perspective, presents information like we've been looking at, certainly during this bracket, of remedies that can generally be seen to have a resisting effect on the ravages of ageing. These are not, if you like, placebos. They're not miracle remedies. They are basically remedies that are best referred to as tonic remedies. So when you say a tonic yep. remedy, Dennis, yep. uh, and particularly with reference to yep. anti-ageing, yes. uh, what are you getting at here? Okay. The first thing to realise here is we're talking about a bracket of remedies, two of which we've looked at already, and hopefully we'll look at ginseng today which are not prescribed for any particular disease, but are rather prescribed and have been prescribed in most cultures, including Anglo cultures, to maintain or help maintain health, to, to stimulate and sustain vitality, a lost concept in medicine today, for goodness sake. What I mean, people know when they're vital and they know when they're not vital. But you talk about remedies that promote vitality today and the first thing modern medicine wants to do is look for biochemical equation. Well, unfortunately, biochemical equations are not really the solution in understanding the wellness 
associated with many uh, regimes, uh, cultural usages of herbs through the ages. A tonic remedy is a remedy that maintains, promotes, helps restore what is best referred to as vitality, and as a result, promotes an overwhelming resistance to aspects of ageing. For instance, in one of the uh, sections here that, that Fulda talks about, he talks about the, the, the way in which uh, a tonic in Chinese medicine is considered. He says, a tonic remedy in Chinese medicine is a general restorative remedy to increase strength and stamina, to overcome weakness in old age and convalescence, to restore potency lost through age or trauma, to adjust blood pressure and blood sugar to reduce agitation and nervous tension. All those things are byproducts of using a bracket of traditional proven remedies latent in most cultures that do nothing more than help someone grapple with the challenges to life and existence by supporting the vitality of the organism. Quickly before we get on a couple of callers here, Dennis, do you think that maybe because these the, what you're basically suggesting uh-huh. is there is something that is a it's not targeting one particular Correct. thing, but an, an all overall package Correct. here. Um, do you think that that is one of the reasons a that that they, they, they may be getting shunned a little bit is because we can't say well it'll it's it'll fix your sore arm, it, yeah. but it's overall. Yeah. But the other thing may be that the concept of a tonic maybe through TVs and movies has been sort of regaled to the, the kooky scientist yeah. in the corner. Uh, He's the point. guy with the tonic or yeah. the snake yeah. oil or whatever. Good point. Look, the the, the word has been abused. Uh, the word has been misunderstood. A tonic is not a stimulant substance, so it's not something uh, that is taken to give you a high uh, or alter your state of, uh, of, of reality. It is quite different to that, and it is not popular in our society because we have lost the concept, as I keep saying, of vitality. In in a system of medicine that was in existence up until a couple of hundred years ago, it always referred to what was called the vital force. Now, all the sceptics and modern medical scientists out there will throw their head back and laugh his head off. What's he talking about? What they were expressing was this innate uh, vitality within the human organism which ultimately is responsible for the maintenance of health and wellness. And a tonic remedy fits into that, which in the conjunction with a good lifestyle, dietary factors, which I hope we'll get on to about mm. this, assist the body. Interesting. And I probably need to get yeah. to uh, Pam in a sec mm. here, but the concept, as you said, of you know when you're vital and when yes. you're not. So you can be well, as in I don't have anything wrong with me, but yeah. still not feel like full Great. of vitality. Great. So this is kind of that extra Absolutely. level. I, I, I look back on uh, Rudolf Weiss's work, which I mention on this program frequently. Uh, by, by the way, I consider his work, uh, simply titled Herbal Medicine, the English translation, to be probably the best clinical uh, herbal medicine text in, in the world today. And he writes brilliantly on the three remedies that we've been going through. We've mentioned uh, already the, the the role of the hawthorn berry and, and the wonderful ginkgo. But when he talks about uh, ginseng, which we'll look at hopefully a little bit later, he refers to it at a number of levels of helping uh, depressional tendencies, helping people who are well, if you like, to regain their sense of wellness. Ginseng is one of the remedies that is claimed 
in promoting the vitality of the organism through a number of pathways, which in Chinese medicine are easily understood, in Ayurvedic medicine are easily understood, but in the rationalist-based system of the West in medicine, poorly understood. You're right in what you say. The term has been misunderstood and uh, the, uh, the tonic remedy is something which particularly elderly people such as myself uh, depend on or should depend on to give them an edge in maintaining what is otherwise drifting away, vitality. He says uh, elderly, but I would mm. say the vitality level <laughs> of an early middle-aged man. We'll get more of that in a minute. G'day, Pam at Belmont. So you have a question on cataracts for Dennis today, Pam. Yes, I do, thank you. Um, yeah, now, once you've got a cataract, the only way to get rid of it is to have an operation. That's right, isn't it? I believe that. Yes, I've had it myself. Oh, okay then. Um, now, I've, I've got a herbal book here and I've been looking at it and um, I'm interested in the eyebright. Yes, eyebright will have no effect whatsoever on cataracts. Um, no, but, I, but, but I, I mean, once the cataract is removed, if you use eyebright, does it sort of help your eye uh, not get another cataract? No, I don't believe so. Um, oh, look, okay. uh, eyebright, no one would know more about eyebright than myself. And, oh. and I don't know what text you're looking at, Pam, but what I'd suggest you do, and I refer listeners to this, get hold of the, the book by uh, the, the brilliant um, British medical herbalist Simon Mills, M-I-L-L-S. Uh, the name of the book is The Dictionary of Modern Herbalism. Okay. Uh, I have lectured from that text oh, from all my uh, lecturing years, and his book uh, is foundational reading for someone who wants a sensible a modern uh, medical-based interpretation of what herbs do. Eyebright in Mill's text is referred to... Uh, the, the, by the way, the, the name of the herb would imply that its, its uh, action is restricted to the eyes. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Eyebright is seen as a remedy that has a primary action against uh, catarrhal or watery or mucousy or sinusy conditions of the upper respiratory tract where sometimes, where sometimes, the the eye will reflect that uh, by a, a discharge or wateriness or soreness, but um, mm. the herb is not primarily used for ocular conditions at all. And okay. I emphasise now I emphasize another another thing yeah, I've read too. Yeah, two yeah, things: yeah. Um, <laughs> coconut coconut water put in your eye and your <laughs> and your cataract disappears. <laughs> uh, uh, look. And was, another one yeah, is yes. uh, olive oil. Some, yeah. It's a special type of olive oil, and I think, oh, really? Well, look, you will not find any greater fan of olive oil than myself. You would have heard me preach the virtues of that remarkable substance, which I recommend regularly to listers, a tablespoonful at least per day of extra virgin olive oil. But, to be fair, you can only go so far to see it being used in this way. Look, it's doing, it's doing an injustice. Uh, to to to, um, to olive oil. Olive oil is a soothing agent, yep. and, and um, it is very useful for dealing with soreness, etc. But uh, any action, any serious action on eye conditions, I would question greatly, Pam. But look, let me just say, I'm impressed with uh, with your reading, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm, you must be interested in herbs, and that is great. Herbs have been, as you would know, my fascination. For the, for the bulk of my uh, very long life, um, and there's a lot to learn, but but I caution uh, not only you, Pam, but listeners generally, 
to look very carefully at what they're reading. There's a lot of nonsense out there, which does an injustice. Well, that's why I mentioned the uh, coconut water and the olive oil. I thought, wow, that was the case. Nobody would be having operations for cataracts. You've hit it on the head. (laughs) Look, I I had my cataracts done a a couple of years ago now, and my world changed. Well, my problem is I've I've got all these allergies. Yeah. Oh, I went look, to the, up to the, the yeah, specialist the other day and they yeah, only put yeah, one drop in each eye. Yes. I've got sinus so bad, yeah. I'd have had to have a cataract removed. I wouldn't have been able to have it done because I couldn't have even stayed still for 10 minutes or whatever because I've got to keep swallowing because well, it comes I, down I, the back I, of my throat. We have, my, my experience has been that we have some of the best um, ophthalmologists and uh, practitioners who work on cataracts in this town, and I'd be surprised, Pam, if they couldn't accommodate you in some way. Best of luck with it all as we continue with Health Naturally. Dennis, I know you've got your book there you want to get back to. You've got some mm. other papers. I now, have. I reckon in there is the photograph <laughs> of you from the 60s demonstrating the Vietnam War. Is it there today? I have said I will bring it to you at the appropriate Stage right, and that is the. I know what next... you would do. It you'd put it up on the on on the net there, and yes, uh, we would. Suddenly, people would get the impression of some derelict hippie <laughs> giving specialist information on medical matters. Mark, oh. it wouldn't do my image any good, <laughs> my friend. I'd say we'd put it. We'd put a cu- we'd put a current photo versus you know, and we'd put the year on it. No, it wasn't running what sixty nine seven. Nothing has changed very much. <laughs> Mentally, anyway. <laughs> so you 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 kind of your your theory is that the world has changed around you, but generally speaking, you know you you, you know what? Yeah. Um, I'm not getting off the track, but you've raised it. Um, when I look back on that mm. era, mm. Uh, which was an exciting era, which goes under various names, uh, counterculture, uh, hippiedom, and all that sort of thing, a lot of the values of that time mm. are still linger with me. Uh, and have influenced me greatly. And I think, even though that era has largely passed as far as a social phenomenon, um, a lot of those values have been carried over into the social sciences, into our worldview, into our attitude, even into our diet. There were downsides to it. Uh, when you when you hear people <laughs> laughing a lot, that's one of the downsides perhaps to it. Wink, wink. It had its virtues, and that's where herbal medicine, by the way, mm. a lot of people don't realise the, the so-called um, counterculture um, was basically the renaissance of herbal medicine in the Western world. 4921621616 if you have a question for Dennis today. But, Dennis, talking about those longer periods yeah, of time, yeah, I know that we're talking the 60s yeah, a long while yeah, back now. Yeah. Um, in recent recorded times, do we have a lot of examples of folks that re- live those really, really long lives? And I guess we're, th- we're talking well past 100. And, and what are we attributing okay. f- as, uh, as some of the reasons okay. that got them there, apart look, from good luck yeah. and good DNA? And, look, there's, there's a lot of that associated with the two. But if you look at some of the modern literature on modern societies where, uh, uh, how can you call it, anti-ageing uh, is being experienced. For instance, if you look at the so-called Hunza Valley in the, at, the, at the foot of the Himalayas uh, at the top of Pakistan, there are a group of people that have been investigated, uh, interviewed, um, analysed and written about because there you have a self-contained community living in a very cold, harsh, 
secluded part of the world. It's not for everybody. Let's no, be I know, honest. I know, but but, but if you if you if you were there from day one, you don't know any different. Exactly. Now the the interest there is that the number of centenarians is quite unusual. That is, uh, people, proportionately. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That the, the the people of of what are called the Hunza people um, have a, a a disproportionately large percentage of people who are centenarians and. Um, that uh, and they live a very traditional culture and depend upon uh, traditional medicine which is probably in that part of the world very much based on uh, on ayurvedic medicine uh, the literature on that for anyone who is cynical about evidence of longevity uh, being associated with the things we're talking about it's there to read. Now, well, that's a good way to look at it. When you've got sort of isolated groups, I mean, quite often you you have to look at things in their own in the little world. So if yeah, they've got, yeah. a, if everybody is doing essentially the same thing, yeah, living yeah. the same way, yeah. that's how you're going to get some proven results. Yeah. Well, look, the, the, another good example of this uh, is uh, in, in uh, Georgia, in Russia, um, the people of that uh, part of the world also have developed a reputation for longevity. And a disproportionately large number of centenarians. So that's only in in recent times an interest in that has been shown. So there are two examples of where, particularly traditional cultures, using traditional diet, using traditional medicine, inevitably based on herbs, uh, evidence, if you like, proof, to a degree, of the possibility of resisting ageing by lifestyle and that's an important point and you've already hinted at it that you cannot see anti-aging approaches based on herbs being isolated from other factors such as lifestyle lifestyle is just as important to tonify the body or have a tonic effect on the body as is the number of tonic herbs that one might be taking well they all become pieces of the jigsaw puzzle don't they and you need all pieces they do i was reading as i've said the book End to Aging this morning, again by Stephen Fulder. And he mentioned the, uh, the fascinating history of an Englishman known as Thomas Parr, P-A-R-R. Uh, people referred to him, and it's referred to in some of the literature, uh, as Old Parr. Now, he was mm-hmm. old. Uh, Fulder quotes him here and, and vouches for the fact that there is authoritative documentation to support the claim that he lived to 150 years. In our modern world, that is just it, it phenomenal, is. isn't but, it? But, and the, the proof of that is that he was invited to a banquet by Charles I in recognition of his longevity. Now, with the old par, whether you smirk or laugh at the 150 thing mm-hmm. it was a very well-known long life but if you read his history just as much emphasis was placed on factors like a regular routine and that is his life was not like ours a fragile razzle-dazzle situation the type of mm-hmm. lifestyle that's murdering the west uh, but it was a routine every day got up did the same thing he was a rural worker so was hard work. But basically also, and Fulda uh, mentions this, he lived on simple food, predominantly vegetable food, predominantly, but not exclusively, predominantly vegetable food. And he ate enough, but not more than enough. 
one of the things that comes out of uh, Fulda's work, which is already being, uh, which is also today being seen as an interesting topic, is that one argument associated with uh, the promotion of ageing is the gluttony in the West. The argument now is that most traditional cultures, most uh, documented cultures where uh, long life is part and parcel of it, live a diet of not any one particular characteristic, although very frequently it's oriented towards a vegetarian emphasis, but the overindulgence is virtually doesn't take place. The, the old idea of getting up from the table with always a little bit left for a bit more is the principle that has come through here. So if anything associated with anti-aging is a lifestyle factor which would say, hey, we in the West who are now starting to see, so I'm told, a decline in longevity, that has a lot to do, I would say, and I'll be crude, the crappy food that, uh, that we're eating and eating too much of it, too frequently, and the way in which we've drifted from the simplicity of diet and the simplicity of lifestyle. Ironic, isn't it? The things that we have for convenience to get us a bit more yeah. time maybe yeah. robbing us of time. I would argue that. Oh, how how, how plus, is that? Plus also yeah. the helter-skelter lifestyle mm. that we have uh, particularly foisted on our children, the absurd way of life that locks young people into a debt burden that they'll probably never be able to sustain, expectations that may never be met, even though the media tells them they can be met, a life of stress and anguish and battle, for what? It's not going to encourage a long life. Dennis, you know, you, you know yeah, there's a, yeah. I'll, I'll stop here. You've wound thought, me up this morning, Mark. You've wound me up. All I, said a, was, well, all I said was good day. There's a, a, very, <laughs> a very important verse in the New Testament. What does it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his soul? Well, Dennis Stewart, if you calm down a bit, mate, I know we wound you up you there. You wound me up there, Mark. It was a deliberate uh, ploy, a ploy you, you. I wasn't doing anything. I was just sitting here going, okay, yeah, he's Well, an going. interesting discussion. Yeah. I allowed me to reflect. The thing, uh, some interesting year. The things that we're doing for con <laughs> the things we're doing for convenience to save time may be robbing us of that very time. And that you've spotted. That's on my it. quote, by yeah, the way. You can't. Yeah. I need the credit for it if you use that in your next seminar. You have great wisdom. Good afternoon, Kim at Thornton. You have a ADHD question for Dennis today, Kim. Yes, I sure do. Thank you, Dennis. Hello, Kim. Um, I just. Hello. I just want to know um, what sort of uh, remedies would you have out there to help a person with ADHD? Okay. Look, I believe... Adult. An adult person. Yeah. Sorry for yeah. interrupting. Yeah. I believe that there are two herbs, uh, yeah. both of which I've written on, and papers mm -hmm. papers of which can be obtained from my, from my room. But uh, one of them is called... Uh, um, not ginkgo biloba. That's very very good for uh, another condition. Uh, but mm. gotchicola, gotchicola is um, is probably uh, an underrated herb. It's also known as hydrocotyl uh, asiatica, and the yeah. and the second one is bacopa, b a c o p a, bacopa moniera. Those those two okay. herbs. If you were to to Google them you would mm. find that they have a reputation of usefulness. Now, how far, okay. how far they go uh, is obviously very individualistic. And most of my 
uh, experience in prescribing them has been for younger people who have problems in concentration, uh, focus, uh, schoolwork. Um, I wrote some papers on this particularly for that, uh, for that purpose. Uh, there, is uh -huh. no, there is no reason, however, why the, uh, these two herbs, which have uh, cognitive benefits, should not be seen yep. as being potentially useful. Now, you notice I'm using the term potentially I, uh, <laughs> because, as, yep. as I've said, every case is different. But the interesting mm. thing is uh, Bacopa uh, moniera is a, an Asian remedy. You heard me mm -hmm. talk probably today of um, the, the Hunzas at the foot of the Himalayas. Well, Bacopa yep. moniera um, basically was in that environment when it was first used and written about thousands of years ago. And yep. it, it was referred to so highly that uh, it was referred to as of the gods. Uh, and oh, because okay. it, was, it was used uh, by right. some of the early um, inhabitants of the Indus Valley uh, for meditation yeah. purposes, oh, okay. for stillness, for quietness of mind, all those things yeah. could have and may have benefit for people that are battling with uh, cognitive factors. It doesn't mm. hurt to give it a go. They are exceedingly, let me mention exceedingly, safe remedies and, mm. uh, and not expensive remedies. Uh, I'd be surprised if you couldn't get some benefit out of that. All right, best of luck uh, for you there, Kim. Dennis, I've been asked anonymously for you to... Can you spell the name of that herb, the one with the word cola in it? Gotcha cola. Gotcha cola. G-O-T-U-K-O-L-A. Gotcha cola. Yeah. But it's also known as hydrocotyl. Asiatica, but I'll not attempt to spell that without a dictionary in front of me. Yeah, it's got some consonants and a vowel in it that or two. That's what we know. Probably our last one for today. G'day, Sharia Duns Creek. You're looking for uh, an issue, uh, a, a solution for plenty of fasciitis and spurs. What's happening, Sharia? Yeah, hi, guys. Um, I was listening last week as well, and I was on my way to work, so I oh, didn't wow. sort of catch it. Okay. Um, you mentioned two herbs. Okay. The guy said, I do have plantar fasciitis, okay. fasciitis okay. and I do have spurs okay. on both feet. I mentioned two remedies. Yeah. These remedies are what are referred to as biochemic remedies, that is, mineral-based remedies. Yep. And the two that I mentioned belong to a bracket of remedies um, known as Blackmore's celloids, C-E-L-L-O-I-D-S, mm -hmm. a well-known bracket of remedies used by naturopaths historically. The two remedies, which are, in my experience, very under-recognised but very useful, are silica, yes, with, the silica. with the abbreviation S79. It's a particular yes. preparation of silica. And, mm -hmm. and sodium phosphate, which is SP96. Now, as I said last week, I apologise for the seemingly esoteric terminology, but that is more uh, a coding for the two products. Yes, uh, not a problem at all. Yeah. You get onto that, you persevere with it. I could talk to you all day about cynics that have been converted to my system of medicine as yes. a result of resolving their spurs using those remedies. Okay, Cherie, uh, best of luck with everything there. Dennis, run out of time, 60 seconds left. Again, I know you want to very super quickly yeah. wrap up on your book on okay. ageing. Again, just for those cynics or, or people also that are interested in the concept of anti-ageing remedies, I mentioned the book, and I'll say it again, a great read entitled An End to Ageing by the English doctor of pharmacology and gerontologist Stephen Fulder. 
if you will, do you uh, read it? And and uh, Dennis, that's it. We have run out of time, mate. So thank you very well, much. Really you, great program. Well, Mark. there's always the, the good uh, thing is there's always you're a next. Bit of a one. radical, Mark. Uh, I prefer, prefer the term free thinker. Dennis. Oh, well done, well done. <laughs> well, free thinkers are always, particularly these days, seen as radicals. Well, it is what it is, Dennis. It is indeed, mate. Uh, you have a great rest of the weekend. We'll talk to you next Friday. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.